Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Episode 42, Drive-by cinema. I'm your host, Rick. And giving me a round of applause. That wasn't a round of applause. That was that was the noise of an empty or a flat tire on the runway. Oh, yeah, dramatic. Certainly, no, no one is no, familiar it was with. Applause. It was applause. I was going to say no one's familiar with static anymore, are they? A white noise on the television that doesn't happen now. Oh, you just get HDMI unconnected, don't you? you do. or whatever. Yeah, you don't get static on TV screens. This is Paul, my co-host. And Foley experts. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's episode 42, as Richard says. Oh, my gosh. How auspicious. It is auspicious if you're a Douglas Adams fan or you're a fan of adult-oriented rock in the 80s. Oh, don't get the second part, Richard. Oh, level, level 42. 42, isn't it? I've had a bit of listener feedback. Oh, gosh. Partly about passengers. I thought you going to say about the Great Wall of China. Passengers. passengers. Oh, we can come on to the Great Wall of China. Passengers. Passengers, he says several times, trying to ref- reflect and remember on this immemorable movie. Oh, I remember, yes, Passengers. Yes, were, Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence. They were surprisingly going to somewhere in the, so, in the, in the space first and never really got there over a very long length of time. Not that we've watched movies like that before. Now, I was making a case... A moral case. For, ...for Chris Pratt's character not being completely degenerate uh-huh. for waking Jennifer Lawrence up. Right. And Pete, loyal listener Pete, Hi, Pete, suggested that I was completely in the wrong. Yeah. And that it was ethically beyond the pale. Pete, have you got a degree in philosophy? He's not able to answer directly, Does he? of course, but I may be able to relay an answer later. Oh. But... I was going to say, yeah, if you haven't, I, shut up. If you, no, 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 no. No, we're very interested to find out what Pete has to say about this. Go on, Richard. Expose, please. Expose, not yourself, his argument. Oh, well, I don't think it's a detailed argument. Oh. It's simply that you were talking it crap. is ethically wrong. It is ethically wrong to wake somebody up and bring them into your miserable situation just because you found yourself in it. Don't look at me. Although you're right. Uh, you point the finger at me. Look, I mean, phew, gosh... If we're looking for an algorithm for generating good behaviour, we just strap people up to, to electric shocks, don't we? All of us. Negative conditioning. We all sign a waiver. Yes, we all sign a waiver. Yes, we will, you know, all get ourselves hooked up. And the first bad thought or bad action, zzz, lose a tooth, you know. Lose a tooth. <laughs> well, I didn't realise this, you know, because often, you're often hooked up via the head, aren't you? And it apparently affects gum health. I mean, I had a, I had a great, great aunt and she was sectioned and, and put in because they used to have men, big oh, mental no. institutes didn't they? They, they, they she was put in for being a lesbian uh what yeah she was it, yeah she was put in for being a lesbian and was given electroshock therapy oh my god <laughs> i mean she didn't come out with much sexuality but she didn't come out with much else i don't think she didn't recover eventually from the treatment uh and married a polish man so success in a kind of way if you think about it that way <laughs> And weirdly, uh, when, I was, awful. when I was a kid, they were, I don't know, it wasn't uh, at the point of caring in the community, it was before that. But for whatever reason, they were closing down that mental institute where she was locked up. And we used to do fun runs around it. We used to do a fun run around the mental institute whilst it was, whilst, you know, there's still people being wheeled around in wheelchairs and whatnot. 
because give them something to look at, doesn't it? Because they could have. I mean, I guess they could have walked. They weren't like they didn't look like you know people that couldn't walk. They just they were zonked, I think, from the ECT and whatever else. Is a run much fun? I don't think it is. No, it's no. not particularly two and a half miles no. of running through a very gated community. But so yeah, but I don't think you're talking about that kind of algorithmic ethicality, are you? And I just want to say, I'm not saying that it was right, it wasn't the correct thing to do to wake up Jennifer Lawrence. It wasn't. It was obviously wrong. Yeah. The question you, I was really I, saying. So the verdict, that, you were saying the verdict was still the same, but the sentence, there might be not exonerating factors, but I don't know what the word is. Commuting factors. He was at his, the end of his rope, and he was about to throw himself out of an airlock. And at that point, you might as well be the bad boy. Perhaps a moral, a moral code or ethical strictures don't really apply so much if the alternative is that you just die. So I think it's rational to do what he did, even if it wasn't ethically right. Okay, three things to say. I think there is some diminished capacity on his part. Yes. I, I, like I said, I don't, think any, I don't think any verdict is changed here. But I think the sentence... It's a factor. In deciding, in deciding, you yeah. know, how bad he did what he did when he did his bad thing. And I think you're right, you know, the fact he was obviously desperate. Thinking rationally, but not in a composed rational way. But on the other hand, I don't think rationality itself implies ethicality. I mean, very few of us would say that Machiavellians, although it's a very rational approach that they have, are necessarily behaving in a way that even they themselves would say is ethical. Would you agree or not? Granted, granted. Mm-hmm. But since I don't believe in a moral code handed down from on high, rationality through ethics and thought is, in a sense, the only way you can arrive at at, at these decisions about right and wrong. Uh, you know, I think if he, if you're right that he has reason to be sort of impaired by his circumstances in his rationality. I just remember the word. Extenuating circumstances. Extenuating circumstances. That would alter, yes. you know, the sentencing of us deciding, not in a legal sense, but in a moral or ethical sense, whether he did what he should have done. It doesn't excuse it. No. But I think... But I don't it, think you were trying to excuse it, were you? You were just trying to say it's, it's understandable and... It's understandable. Maybe it wasn't well the worst said, thing well to do said. in the world, kind of thing. Well, that's put that ethical done under yeah, bed. Well done. Yeah, go away, Pete. No, 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 no <laughs> don't, don't, Pete. Unless you've got a degree in philosophy, in which case we're wrong. Now, you did talk briefly there about the Great Wall of China. I wanted to mention, I primed you with that. You did, yeah. Because during lockdown, which is coming up on well over a year, isn't Stop, it? Stop, please, no. <laughs> One of the things oh. I've been doing is I've been sightseeing the world. I've been travelling Whoa, world. I've done the same thing. Wow. Hey, wait, stop. Can I just really interrupt now at this point? I've been, oh. we've been, ha- I've been having Google Map parties with friends where we like, we, we all navigate. Like, instead of going what? to the place, we, we all navigate to like a, a scenic spot or whatever. We all drive down the same motorway to get there. Oh, Google. <laughs> like, you know, you know, you slide the, uh, Swipe, slide the screen. Yeah, yeah. We're all doing it, you know, like going on a trip together. It's really good fun, but is that what you're talking well, I'd about? I'd love to do that, Paul. I'd oh, you can join that. us next time, yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to intrude on your friends, obviously. So I'm just a mere podcast host, but co-host. But um, the <laughs> anyway, I was talking about Google Map parties where we all drive down and we try to we try swipe. to swipe our way to the destination at roughly the same time. 
I guess you could screen share and see if you actually are in the same room. But you were talking about what? You were talking about visiting famous landmarks. No, I did the same thing holographically with Google and with but your, I use your Hololens. My VR headset oh, to enhance the experience of telepresence. And one of the places that I went to and was amazed by was I had a look around the Great Wall of China. Just because it's one of those places that's on all of those lists. When you're a kid and you've got a big book of facts and they talk about the modern or the you know, the wonders of the world or the ancient wonders of the world or whatever. The Great Wall of China is always listed. It's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? It is, yeah. And it's it's in films and T V series and stuff like that as well. But I've never really been to it. Oh, I've certainly never been to it, and I've never thought to investigate it. And obviously you've spent time in China, so I wondered whether you'd actually been to the Great Wall I've of China. I've been there twice. Right. Do you want the story? That's quite a lot. No. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The first the time story. I went with somebody who doesn't have vertigo, but has that fear of heights, because vertigo isn't the fear of heights. I don't know what vertigo is. But she said she had vertigo, but she didn't. She had a fear of heights. So she just got the name wrong. But, I don't know. But she knew that she didn't like heights. Yeah. Um, yeah. At some point, you have to go to cable cut. Uh, Badaling, which is where the bit that's original, or they claim is original. I mean, the stuff outside of Beijing is all original because nobody's knocked it down. But in and around Beijing, I think it was all pretty much dismantled. Largely in the 1960s and 70s, where people were using the stones to eat <laughs> instead of grass, which they run out of. And so it's all been rebuilt, essentially. And we went up there, and I remember the occasion because we were with a Chinese, well, Chinese business partner, as it happened. And our business had just gone, it was a moonshot business, and we just we just landed at the moon. We just made a lot of money. So the Beijing expedition was a real exercise in spending money that we knew we had. Was this, was this a nightclub or a school or something? It was not a school. It was kind of like a after-school kind of taekwondo. Symposium. Taekwondo, English, math kind of. Crammer kind of thing. Oh, wow, wow. Okay. And so we hired, we thought, oh, God, let's be extravagant. Let's hire a taxi. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had been desperately poor for the years before. And so, you know, the height of extravagance was hiring a driver for the day and letting them wander off when we didn't need them, then calling them back and having just hiring the taxi for the whole day kind of thing. Which, as it turned out in 2001, wasn't an expensive thing to do. It was like 50 quid or 100 quid for the day. Huh. We thought, except, of course... Like, he was a practiced take tourists to the Great Wall taxi driver. He was, like, telling us how hard his life was and how little money he made uh, and how expensive property already was in Beijing at that point and how he's a local and how come locals couldn't afford property. So I think psychologically he was preparing himself for the fact he was about to con us. <laughs> his moral license. Yes, he was, you know, he was, he was going through, he was rehearsing the morality of what he was about to do. And then he took us to either a relative's or a, 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 you know, on the way, he said, oh, wow, we've got some famous, famous restaurants along the way here. Do you fancy stopping off at one? Ooh. Oh, hello. And, Red flags? And, and, well, no, because he, he was very casual about it. We, it was, you know, he interspersed us between other conversation. Kind of. And so we, we stopped off at what he suggested. And of course, it was a relative's or a, a, uh, a friend's restaurant. Now, fair enough, you know, overcharges for the food or whatever. Make an extra 20 quid. But no, 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 no. He then helped us order <laughs> and ordered a Chinese sturgeon, which is actually on the world... Endangered watch it's list. It's on the endangered watch list. It wasn't a Chinese sturgeon, but we got charged for a Chinese sturgeon. And that was uh, a sum total of £450. 
Well, you would pay, expect to pay more if you're eating an endangered animal, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, for a two pound fish, they, they, you know, they plucked out the back back of the uh, pond. You know, <laughs> you got us for four hundred fifty quid, and we, we had to pay basically. I mean, it's not as bad as the scams that happened about ten years later in Beijing, where the tea shop scams, tea ceremony, the tea ceremony yeah. scams, which were for thousands of pounds. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not a police issue in China. It's the price-fixing committee's issue in China. Uh, um, our friend was Chinese, and she knew we, not a lot we could do is be, being out of towners. So we paid up, and that's what I remember. But then we got to Badaling. No, we had to get back in the taxi with this guy. <laughs> and strangely, my friend got in the cable car and then proceeded to piss her pants kind of thing. Oh, no. But I do remember the whole thing... At Badaling or whatever it's called. I mean, Badaling, I can't remember what it's called. But the whole wall was obviously, to westernise, was obviously recreated. Well, that's fair enough. But the thing about the Great Wall that I didn't realise, well, first of all, it's much bigger than I'd ever anticipated. It's not one continuous wall, is it? There's many sort of branches and sort of it's sort of stacked several lines deep some in some places. And yet still prove completely useless. This is the thing about a wall is, as a military strategy, you, you build a wall, you are actually inviting people to circumvent it in some way, aren't you? Yeah. You're either saying, please go around, or asking people to invent and use a ladder. <laughs> Has nobody told Donald Trump this? Well, yes, they have, but he doesn't listen, does he? Uh, obviously, but, you know, as soon as you build a wall, you are saying, you know, as soon as you're over this, you're kind of home free. Yeah. I... I, I, I... I think for a city it might work, you know. Build four, sure, it's build four defensive. walls. They're yeah. straight. Uh, yeah, essentially, right. you just need one guard at each corner to see anybody climbing <laughs> with a ladder. But when it's however many thousands of miles that the Great Wall is, I mean, realistically, it's, it's so long that nobody really knows. There's so many different branches. Wow. But if I said that it was ten thousand miles long. No one would. I don't think scholars and experts would argue with me greatly. So, but realistically, 10, you know, miles. it being in the mountains and how bumpy and undulating they are, we're talking about ten thousand guards there for aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Never you mind can't... the cost of building yeah. it. I think the reason the Chinese eventually lost to invaders was because they bankrupted themselves building this bloody yeah. thing and maintaining it. Yeah, that, well, you're quite right. It, it is, as you say, it's it, it's built in the mountains in some of the most inhospitable, inaccessible places, yeah. places where you would think. No one's seriously bringing army, certainly not a mounted sort of cavalry army through this landscape. Right. I mean, it's just so treacherous and difficult terrain. I mean, the idea that they built a wall there is an astonishing feat anyway. But yeah, who, how are you going to staff it with with guards? <laughs> it, the cost must have been astonishing. I mean, this, we're talking about a wall that in some places must have been seven metres tall. Uh, uh, not all of it, though. I mean, it's one of those things that they say about the wall, isn't it? Apart from the fact that it's visible from space, which it isn't. They, you know, the stats are that it's it was seven meters tall. I mean, it may have been in some places, but I'm sure. I mean, the, the key stat for a wall is not how tall is it when it's tallest, but how tall is it when it's shortest, right? Yeah, that's the bit you're going to have to climb over. But you know, like Hadrian's Wall, which the Romans built to separate us or them the Roman Empire from the Scots. Yeah. I, I think a more modern interpretation of that was it promoted trade, didn't it? It became like a border outpost where customs could be levied and so forth. And I don't know whether that was the same, the same was true for the the Great Wall, or as they call it in Chinese, I understand, the Long Wall. Yes, the Long Wall. 
I don't know. I don't know Chinese. I thought you might know it. Is that what they call it? <laughs> Chang Chang. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like the long, the long city, almost, or the long, or the long ramparts, or the whatever. I don't long citadel. Not really quite sure. But I guess the Mongols, however, they were trying to defend themselves from the Eurasians that were invading, were probably not really the trading types, were they? So maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was more military. I don't know. Well, yeah, anyway, amazing. It's a decent thing to look at because you can look at it, although it's not visible from space, yeah. it's too thin, basically. Obviously, you can't see it from space. It's far too narrow. If, you, if, you, if you're looking at Google Maps and the satellite views and stuff, because they've got little push pins at the tourist areas, like the one you visited, where they encourage tourists to go, of yeah. course. But you can obviously link up between and see the kind of ridgelines where you'd expect they might have put a wall and zoom in. And usually find where that wall is, and of course we're talking about more inaccessible places where it's not well kept, uh, and it probably is relatively original, as you say. But you, you can follow it through all kinds of landscapes and see different styles of wall. It's astonishing to look at. It's just, it's an amazing achievement. Greenland, from 2019 or 20, I can't quite remember which, but recent. Now, what I like about this movie, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a movie from an era, era in the past when Bruce Willis action movies were viewed unironically. <laughs> this movie has no irony about it, does it? This is Gerard Butler, by the way, not Bruce Willis. I know, yeah. But it, there's very little self-awareness to this movie, is there? It's a very serious business, Paul. This is a genuine existential threat to the Earth. It's not a question of if. What, Greenland? Big, not Greenland itself. Oh. That was simply there. Well, it's like Destination Io. It's a film named after the place that we almost don't see don't until get the to, very, yeah. very end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a talking about the destination. Greenland is the solution to the big problem they're facing in the film. Which is an ELE an extinction level event. Thank you. It's an incoming comet, Paul, that's going to hit them. Comet Clark, named I think after Arthur C. Clark. So we've got a comet going to hit the earth. Bam bam bam. They can see it coming a little bit. They didn't really expect it. They've got what two weeks no notice or three weeks? Yeah, they've got a little bit of notice. They've got two weeks time to to get their shit together and panic and run around like headless chickens, which lots of people do in the movie. But what I didn't do I when I saw this was an extinction event movie, is I didn't go back and find the difference between asteroids, comets, and meteors and meteorites. Oh, well, I can help you with that. And bolides. Bolides is a general term. Am I right in saying that? Um, you see, I'm not there. quite sure about bolides, but I can tell you about asteroids, meteors, and meteorites. Go on. So an asteroid is rocky. Is a ro- is a rock in space, and a comet is water, is ice, a, a, a snowball in space. It's either water, ice, or carbon dioxide, or something else. And they tend to be further out, or live further out, come in close to the sun, melt, and give you a nice display with the tail, and then go back out. Seem to all herald from a place far out in the solar system called the Oort Cloud. Whereas the asteroids are sort of spread all around, but there's a, a cluster of them statistically between Mars and Jupiter. But just to stop you there, there would be nothing stopping a rogue comet 
or a rogue asteroid coming from outside the solar system, was there, necessarily. They're just very few and far between. That's right. It's difficult, I suppose, to identify them as well, but they've started picking up such things. Like Oumuamua, I think, was the first one that they positively identified, which they do purely from the trajectory, right? They track its path and they work out that it could only have come from somewhere outside. But often if they do come from outside, they get if they're asteroids, they get caught into the asteroid belt anyway, so... I don't know about that. Oh. I mean, Oumuamua did. I just made that bit up. You did. It's nice. Now, I think the asteroid belt is there. Because it got shattered. Pres- presumably there was another body somewhere in the solar and it system got blown that got up. broken up. Right. Yeah. I guess. And the asteroid belt, it's not very dense. I mean, it's not like you see on Star Wars. Is it not? No, you'd be hard-pressed to hit a rock if you flew through it. But there, there are, you know, a bunch of them. There's a whole, whole lot of them in that region, but... You know, space is big, man. And, and those rocks are small, small. So an asteroid is a rock in space. Yeah. A comet is a snowball in space. A meteor is an asteroid, usually, that has entered the atmosphere and is glowing incandescent hot. And we would call it a shooting star. But the the term is meteor. And a meteorite? A meteorite is Makes one of those that actually hits the ground. Because most of the shooting stars that we see vaporised in the air. Now, too shooting small. stars we see typically in August in the Northern Hemisphere. Is that not right? Uh, there are several. Several, because but August is the, the big Earth time. passes through regions of dusty bits, dust clouds in the in orbit around the sun. And when when we do, those particles enter the atmosphere and make shooting stars. So there are several during the year. They can happen at any time. But typically, but a shooting star is quite—it's quite—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a transitory appearance, yeah, a few seconds yeah. or a few minutes. Whereas a comet is going to be bright in the sky for a significant length of time, usually, yeah. Well, certainly, yeah, because the ones that we can see—first of all, they—I suppose they—the ones that reflective. burn up. Sorry, yeah. Well, they all—they all melt as they get close to the sun, and they give you a tail, two tails. I think, in fact, comets have point of fact. But yeah, we can see that because they're quite reflective objects, I think, as well. Now, Clark is said to be a comet, which happens to be on an interception course with the Earth. And I think that is more of a problem than a normal meteorite, partly because in order to be able to see objects that are going to hit us, they're usually quite big, I think. Yeah. But also, because a comet is coming from the Oort cloud... It's possible that it's coming in faster. Oh, no, you're or... right about that, yeah, because I checked on this. Typically, comets, their relative velocity to the Earth is much higher than uh, any kind of asteroid. Because all of the planets in the solar system orbit in the same direction. Ah. So we're all like cars on the motorway, aren't we? We're going at slightly different speeds, but relative to one another, there's not that big a difference. I see. And I think that would tr- be true mostly for meet- meteors that might hit us or meteorites that might strike the Earth, is that probably they're going roughly the same speed and direction as the Earth, so their impact velocity might not be so high. But a comet is probably coming at a highly eccentric orbit. I see. And it's therefore probably got a much bigger closing speed. And as we know, H, uh, what is half mv squared is the energy equation. So as the velocity goes up, the square of that velocity is even higher, and that's the energy that's going to cause the destruction on the Earth. And that's why this is an extinction-level event. But it's not just one. The comet's broken up 
It's been broken up into different uh, sort of fragments. Which remain huge. And they're hitting one after the other in a series of cataclysms that start to give people the idea that this is going to be bad. Because at the start, they're preparing for a party, aren't they? Uh, and I think it's a party watching the passage of this comet. Right. So everyone is presumably thinking, oh, it's going to be good. You're it's right, yeah. They're, they're preparing a party to get on the rooftop and watch the com- passing comet, yeah. yeah. But Jared Butler, he gets a message on his phone whilst he's in the shop getting ice and hot dogs and hot dog buns or whatever they're having for their party. And he, he gets a message on his phone because his job, he's some kind of project manager at a building site. And it seems that if you can use uh, Microsoft Projects and you have a Prince 2 qualification, the US government thinks you're going to be needed in the post-apocalyptic survival scenario. So he's given a message that's, that says essentially, you and your family are safe. Or we, we want to put you in a some kind of special bunker holding, yeah, yeah some holding base and special bunker underground city, and you, you're going to survive whatever event happens, so that you can repopulate the earth. You know, scan this QR code or whatever. I mean, it seems a very, very <laughs> kind of uh, lacking. You know, the 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 amount of security involved in in distributing these very very secret messages. Not they haven't really got it down, have they? Like he doesn't even doesn't even ring the number. He doesn't even call back the number and confirm who he is. So he gets a message on his phone in the shop. Yeah. More embarrassingly, in front of all of the neighbours who are at this party, when he gets back home, a message appears on his TV screen. Yes. Now I thought that's possible with digital TV. I guess. Well, I was going to say, if it was terrestrial broadcast television like we used to have, that I don't think would be possible. But modern TVs have got an internet connection. They could be sent messages uh, or even cable television. I think cable television might be subscriber addressable. Right. Because there's some mechanism, I think, for, like, you know, what package you're subscribed sure, to. Sure, turning on the taps or turning off the taps, yeah. 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 I'm not entirely sure about that. Analog cable may be less so. I think it may be down to, like, your street or whatever. But digital cable probably is subscriber addressable. I don't know whether the US government would... I mean, strongly TV-centric culture, but I don't know whether they'd be inclined to deliver essential essential worker information directly to people in disaster scenarios over their TVs. So they get the message that they're saved, so low-key they're trying to escape without letting their friends realise, yeah. <laughs> how, how embarrassing. Well, yeah. Embarrassing You'd think everyone would realise how important PowerPoint, uh, Microsoft Project skills will be to rebuild society. What is his job? Well, he, he he's a foreman on a building site, isn't he? At I the see. start, they're building like a high rise, and he's there with his hard hat and his laptop. He's obviously not a handyman, though. You know, he's not skilled. He's not wielding a hammer, is he? Or laying bricks—the kind of skills he might need when the world has been destroyed. Ah, the old balloon debate. Ah, yes, balloon, balloon debate. Is, well, yeah, you kind of do it with, with with students of English to get them to learn how to. Speak flexibly. The balloon is descending at a very fast rate. There are ten people, and you have to progressively throw a person out the balloon. To oh my god! Well, Who do you throw out first? And usually huge. you populate. Usually you populate it with famous people like Marilyn Monroe, you know, Mao Zedong, Gandhi. That kind. <laughs> but there's a similar one where you, you know you have profession balloon debate for the profession. You know you have an engineer, a plumber, a writer, that kind of thing. You decide who to throw out and kill. This macabre. 
like exercise is something you do with school children. Is that what you're yes. telling me? Yeah. This is awful. It's also based. It's on the same false... one, which is the same, but you're on a raft. You've got to throw somebody to the sharks. I don't know whether that's better, Goria. The thing about a balloon, Paul, is the balloon would just drift pleasantly downwards to to a nice landing, wouldn't it? No, it's it's got a puncture, so it's losing progressively more hot air. I know, but it's, it's still it's going to start descending faster and faster. I don't think it would descend so fast that everyone would be in peril. This is one of the things about balloons. They're like giant parachutes, aren't they? I think it would just drift downwards until everyone just alights from the basket. What, if the air inside was cold? It doesn't get cold so quickly, especially if they keep, keep the burners on. Okay. I think you need to rethink this whole scenario, this whole balloon debate thing. Because what's the alternative? Well, you throw people out, the balloon stays in the air for longer and longer. What's the end game here? <laughs> Well, I think the point is, you know, by the time, by the time there's only one person in, yes. it's descended. It's descended anyway, and because there's only one person in, you hit the ground at a reasonable speed, and you can survive and live with your guilt. Okay, well, I think you need to do the maths on this because I don't think it checks out at all. Right. So yes, they try to drive to the airport where all of the people who've got this special message. There's a holding bay or a compound for them. Well, they're going to be put onto these cargo aircraft and flown off to somewhere unknown. They haven't said Greenland yet. Well, Greenland. We know it's Greenland. That's the name of the film. They don't know it. There's obviously a big crowd of people outside the airport, and they all seem to have got wind of the fact that there may be an escape. Yeah, I would have preferred if they turned into zombies at this point. It's like they are zombies, though, aren't they? There I are know, people... people it would be better if they were actually code. really were zombies. There are people who've got a QR code, and there are people who haven't got a QR code, and those who haven't are all going to die jostling they're all jostling to try and get through but they can't get through because they haven't got a cute qr code so our protagonists turn up in their suv they get through don't they initially yeah but then they're told they brought bags with them i think they were told to bring one bag each they rush packing and then when they get there they're actually told unpack your bags and put it all in this one kit bag so they were told on the text message to bring one bag each but when they get there they have to put everything in one bag that's plausible, you know. Changes happen, particularly in you know, in, in a crisis situation. So I can accept that. I can accept. But the problem is that Nathan's little kid is asthmatic. No, he's not asthmatic. He's got diabetes. Oh, he's got diabetes, and he's left. I his... thought he needed. I thought he needed. He needed his inhaler. No, no he it's his, his insulin. And they they've left it in the car. Oh fuck! So Jared Butler he dashes out to go back to the car. The wife says to one of the soldiers, oh, my husband has just gone back for Nathan's insulin. And he says, oh, sorry, ma'am. And he gets, they get taken to the office. And they get taken, they get deboarded and stuff, and taken off. Because the son. Because he's a diabetic. Apparently, that's no good. I don't know why. I, I, I guess there aren't diet. I guess there aren't insulin producing factories in the middle of Greenland, are there? But it, again, though, it does seem like they knew who, they knew who they wanted to send these messages out to. But they hadn't checked out on their physical, on their, on their medical history. And anyway, if you're desperate to have this guy to do your project management work in the apocalypse, yeah. surely he's not going to really want to come along unless he can bring his kid. So whether or not you think that they're viable for the future of the human race, if you want the project manager guy, you're going to have to bring the insulin-dependent kid along, aren't you? You are. But in any case, they get thrown out and they get thrown into a bivouacky kind of tent situation. A holding bay for the for the physically less than perfect specimens. 
then for some reason the husband doesn't make it back or does make it back or they get separated. Oh no, that's right. The people at the fence, the they zombies revolt. managed, to, they break they managed the to break through. Yeah, And ultimately the plane blows up, doesn't it? That was quite good, that, yeah. Didn't make a lot of sense, though. I don't know why. Well, what happened was they broke through and then, of course, the guards opened fire to, no, to little or no avail because they're shooting into a crowd of 50,000 50, people, yeah? And then, for some reason, the line of fuel gets shot at and blows up. Because the the invaders, if you like, or, you know, the uh, the insurgents get hold of the guns, don't they? They kill a few guards and they start firing. Well, they're back. all heavily armed anyway, aren't they? Because it's America. Yeah, it's, it's America, yeah, whatever, yeah. So and they blow up a fuel tank or whatever and then all the aeroplanes go up one by one. <laughs> so luckily, it's a good job our, you know, our family were off the planes at that point. I think the filmmakers would be very pleased that with their budget and the number of extras they hired that you think there were 50,000 people invading the airport. Because <laughs> I would say there were Less than the top of the pops generously studio. maybe 50 people there. <laughs> but how many people are in the top of the Pops audience or it used to be on? I reckon those studios are much smaller than they appear. Like literally a front room. So I think there were probably far fewer people in that audience than you really think. Because it feels like thousands. It's probably for the best, isn't it, considering what used to go on? Yes. Did you like that first major piece of action or not? No, I did. I you didn't see, like it. You're not, you're not nostalgic for Bruce Willis movies, are you, at all? I wanted a hard science exploration of the real effects of cometary impact. And what I'm getting instead was civil unrest and very poor crowd management. But wait, wait. Had the first comet shard of comet, shard of comet hit at this point? Yeah, I think it hit Florida, didn't they? Yeah, because. it hit Florida and it destroyed all of Miami, didn't it? Yes. Now, you said you didn't have no... Pro- although, you know, we don't really focus on the science here. You, you, before the podcast, you said there was no, there were no real problems with the science here. But I, I think there is, yeah. Okay. If there's an impact event that destroys an entire city... Yes. An entire city, yeah. Then pretty much within 24 hours, you're going to get extreme weather events, are you not? Did they not? I mean, there was like a rain of meteors or something shortly afterwards, wasn't there? He had to, when they're driving away from his dad's house, they had to hide under the overpass. All those fireballs were coming down. I mean, Miami's a pretty huge, Miami's a suburban-based, you know, car-based city. It is gigantic. Sure. Well, when they say destroyed, I mean... uh, Well, we saw a photo. It was completely wiped out, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Okay. At the very least, you know, you'd have Richter ten earthquake. But they did, they did, because they were in. No, not, they didn't. They were in. Were they in? Were they underground at that point? No, 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 no. When Miami got hit, they were having the party or something. Because he goes outside, doesn't he? And a shockwave comes across whilst he's watching. Anyway, they get split up, don't they? She has a misadventure where an older couple try and steal Nathan because they think they'll find it easier to get in. Yeah, I mean, how how much hope did you have that when they got in the couple who looked a bit like Mormons, like, eerily nice couple, how much hope did you have that it was just going to be a nice couple and it wasn't just going to be a predictable, these are nice people about to do something nasty with her kid? Oh, it was totally predictable, yeah. Wasn't it? You it know, was I heavily mean, telegraphed, yeah. Oh. 
So yeah, they they, they steal Nathan because they think it will be easier to get through, pretending that they've got a young kid with them, with his wristband or whatever it is. With his wristband. Oh, that's right. They got wristbands on that they were given in the compound. Little do they know that Nathan's already been rejected, and there's no way. He's <laughs> So they they kick her out of the car and they they head off with Nathan to either sell him into you know a lifetime of massage parlor sweeping the floor as underage labor or to to try and get back into the 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 military compound that they don't know has been blown up I guess or they're going to a different one they they go to a different one yeah right Nathan gets sort of recognized or some guard works Woo-hoo. out what's going on and. And then he gets reunited with his mum and that couple get arrested. And meanwhile, Jared Butler is having a fight with some guy on a truck because he's trying to hitch, hitchhike his way. Oh, yes. Yes, he turns into John Car- uh, Jack Carrack for a while, doesn't he? Uh, again, someone sees his wristband and tries to fight him for it. And he ends up killing a guy. And his new best friend yes. gets killed as well at the same time. I kind of like the violence of that, 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 that uh, the finality of that standoff between him and the guy that wants his wristband. They go to his dad's house, I think, where he manages to reunite with his wife and his son. And then they figure out that they might still be able to get to Canada if they go to a... Sorry, get to Greenland if they go to a particular airport in Canada. His dad lends him his truck and they drive off. That's got a real attitude problem. He stays there to die, though, doesn't he? I guess so. It might affect how you behave. But still, I didn't like his dad's attitude. Well, they'd been estranged, hadn't they, the husband and wife? They were meeting up that weekend, just you know, sharing the sharing Nathan and stuff, hadn't they? It seemed they were having marital troubles. This obviously brings them back together, as the end of the world would, if <laughs> if it were to happen. So they drive up to Canada now in Dad's car. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, the comets really start arriving on mass. Is that right? Yeah. There's that rain of little fireballs. A flurry. A flurry of a flurry of comet activity at this point. They arrive at the airport where the last plane is leaving, and it's the middle of the night. And he stops the car on the air, uh, on the runway, runway in front of facing the plane. off. Yeah, facing off this huge army transporter. No, it's not. It's a tiny. It's a small like civilian plane. Oh, it's a jet plane now. All right. No, it's a little prop plane. Don't you remember? It's like a really. Rather than the pilot getting very pissed off with them for stopping a car in the middle of the runway while she's trying to take off, he says, okay, go on then. I'll squeeze you in even though I'm full. Even though I'm overweight. Yeah. Exactly. And they all get on board and they fly the thousand miles or so to Greenland to Thule Air Base where it is understood there is a bunker that will save humanity. The, they have a bit of a disaster, don't they? Because as they're flying and just coming in for a landing... They get hit by lightning. Well, there's another. Well, they get hit by a comet. Another fragment lands nearby, and hit there's by the shockwave. The shockwave knocks the plane out of the sky. Basically, they crash oh, land. This is the next big sort of special effects moment, wasn't it? The, the landing, the crash landing of this plane. Yeah. It loses power. Now, what's the technical uh, coefficient for how far a plane drops in free fall for every, you know, for every unit of forward? Well, it's the glide plane, the glide yes. slope, isn't it? Now, the glide slope for a small passenger plane like that is, is going to be fairly efficient, isn't it? You know. Well, yeah. I mean, you think you can expect to come to do a crash landing with no power if you have Except to. for them, they're thinking, no, we're all going to die. It's a very dangerous procedure, not landing on a smooth runway, is it? Indeed, the pilot and co-pilot die in the, in the landing because they I hit see. an object, don't they? 
But what's worse, more dangerous, is that they wind up all in the wilderness in Greenland. And he's wearing, like, a T-shirt. None of them have got, like, cold weather gear on. I don't know why. Well, that happened to us in the lake district, didn't it? Despite the fact I said, don't worry, given the two of us aren't really outdoorsy kind of people, we're not going to get frostbite or have to cannibalise each other stuck on a mountain in the middle of the lake district. And it almost happened to us. (laughs) So... You never know. The weather can change very quickly. Well, that's why didn't they take some better clothing? Didn't your geography teacher tell you that when you went to Malum? There's no such thing the as bad weather. Weather can change very quickly up here. Only inappropriate clothing. Well, I, well, there are limits to that, though. Aren't there? Yeah, in Greenland, if you die, if you crash land in a plane in t-shirts and shorts, you're going to die of exposure. Well done for Pretty surviving quickly. the crash. Yeah, yeah you're going to be dead within four hours, I think. Wow, that's it's a rule of four, isn't it? Four hours. For, without shelter, four days without water, four years without a girlfriend. <laughs> but fortunately, before God. they die of exposure, this yeah. plane full of people get picked up by a military truck driving. I was going to say, by, by a group of polar bears. It would have been nice to see the boy being savagely eaten by a polar bear. The boy was really annoying. A little bit annoying. He was annoying when Come on, he... he was really annoying. When he dropped his insulin pack out of his bag because he was looking for his Game yeah. Boy, whatever he was doing. I can't remember what it was. So they arrive in the underground bunker, yeah? They do. Uh, everything, all shit goes off. Millions of comets hit the Earth. Well, apparently the big one is going to hit it's... Western Europe. Oh, my God. And they see it go overhead, don't they? They don't. Wow, gosh, heck. And that, that's perhaps a bit unrealistic. I'd say that's the biggest bit of unrealisticness that we saw. Like one of those, when people turn up to that beach so they can take a photo, a camera shot of the, the uh, 747s that are landing on the runway just behind them kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but for a comet instead of an aeroplane. Surely this comet, which is coming in at a very high intercept velocity, you'd barely be able to see it, wouldn't it just... Just be a light in the sky and then boom, that would be it. I don't think it's going to pass lazily overhead. I think it will pass in a split, a split second. And I got a feeling it would be so incandescently bright that it would give you, set you on fire, give you sunburn or blind you or all three. Not if you can rip off a door and put it in front of you. <laughs> as, as we've learnt in other movies. But The Incredible Hulk was not here and we couldn't rip off any doors. However, it goes past, it obviously hits the Earth, and then what happens? Well, they have to spend nine months underground in this bunker. Now, we don't we don't spend that with them in the movie, do we? No, it all passes in the blink of a montage. It's, it's worth noting that Nathan s- survives this experience despite... I mean, they either had enough insulin that it would not have been a problem in the first place. Why did they take him off the plane? Or they didn't, and he would have been presumably dead or whatever. Or or he stopped drinking Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's no sugary drinks in the bunker. Because let's face facts, that would cure about 85% of the diabetes, progressive diabetes, in the world at the moment. Diet? Is it is it as simple as diet? It's all about diet and exercise. Well, they weren't getting much exercise. Oops, sorry, oh, we're going to have some angry doctors, aren't we? Uh, do you think doctors are listening to this during COVID? Doubtful. Well, I, I was. The, we just hit a thousand views. Yay! Milestone. Yeah. Yay! So you were saying though that you didn't think people would be able to survive in an underground bunker after a meteorite 
Well, no, I mean, you convinced me that well, I was talking nonsense. I was saying, you know, earthquakes. I mean, we're talking about a huge earth-shattering impact here. True. And for me, some hollowed-out caves <laughs> wouldn't protect you from... Because it's still... I mean, they're still surface structures, essentially, aren't they? They're, they're, they're what? 20 metres down? 30 metres down, maybe, at maximum? We didn't get the sense that they descended, you know, lift after lift after lift shaft, did we? To a massive impact and resultant earthquake and possibly tectonic shift event, they're living on the surface anyway. It's like climbing the second floor when you see a tsunami coming. I thought it would be useful just to compare this to the impact that killed the dinosaurs, the Chicxulub impact in Central America. Which is terrifyingly huge. Are you going to read some numbers out for us? It was much bigger, because I think they said the comet here was about the size of a football stadium, didn't they, or something? Yeah. I think I, I seem to remember them saying that. Wow. Uh, so they've whereas, done their homework, basically, in terms of presenting the science, so props to them there. Whereas the Chicxulub impact meteor was anything up to 80 kilometres in size. No way! But it was going slower, again, for reasons we mentioned. Chicxulub, I think, was going about 20 kilometres per second... It was a comet. No, it wasn't a comet. It was a rocky object, ah. which I think is where bolite or chondrite comes from. Uh, I think they're the rocky asteroids that might hit us. But when the Chicxulub um, event happened, the impact, because it happened partially at sea, I think, or just off the coast. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. It caused a mega tsunami of over 100 metres tall. <laughs> that would have reached all the way to what is now Texas and Florida. Yeah, climbing that climbing that little tower uh, next to the secondary <laughs> school in, in coastal Japan and ringing the bell isn't going to save anybody who's 100 metres, you know. I, I mean, you see on YouTube the terrifying footage one of the Thai tsunami or the Indian Ocean tsunami, I guess you might call it, because it didn't just affect Thailand, but then the Japanese tsunami. Uh, oh, that's amazing, the, the, yeah. The, you that's know, so and, it's totally amazing. And... And you know these these old these because if you lived in Japan you, you'll know the old guys you know the old guys that are very helpful and they just hang around on their bicycles you know and they've always got jobs to do and one guy's job is to is to ring the bell when the tsunami comes you know there's a little tsunami tower isn't there next to any whatever the secondary school or whatever in all these small villages and you see the video of him ringing the bell and people kind of taking notice down below but some of the cars getting washed away it's just mm. it's unfathomable really. And the thing about that, of course, is it wasn't it wasn't the height of it. It was just the fact that it kept coming. You know, the, yeah. the inundation didn't stop. It wasn't a single wave. It was a. Wikipedia continues here that most recent simulations show that waves may have been up to one point five kilometers tall, and able to reach coastal lines all over the world. Wow! So this is a very good reason, not the extreme weather events that happened afterwards, but the waves itself would really have drowned all the dinosaurs, but not the mammals, yeah. If you think about it, because the small rodents would climb to the tops of trees, that kind of thing. The tops of uh, trees aren't going to help you, are they? I know, well, in the ex- but in the extreme polar regions, they would do, wouldn't they? A cloud of hot dust, ash and steam would have spread from the crater. And smothered out the sun, yeah. Excavated material, along with pieces of the impactor, ejected out of the atmosphere by the blast would have been heated to incandescence on re-entry, broiling the Earth's surface and possibly igniting wildfires. Meanwhile, colossal shockwaves would have triggered global earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Exactly. 
it would have triggered a seismic event equivalent to a magnitude 12 earthquake at the impact site, with shock Precisely. waves generating the equivalent of magnitude 9 earthquakes across oh, the globe. Oh, only 9. I see. So an underground bunker might survive. In fact, would survive. We're keeping all our seeds in a seed repository, aren't we? The Norwegians have one of those, I think. Or is that in Greenland as well? I don't know. What is compunction to to have the race survive? I don't particularly understand it. Oh, you think we should just let it happen and all die? Apart from you know our genetically programmed reproductive will. Yeah, I mean, apart from what is that, this? What is this human exceptionalism that, that, that we're upset? Don't you think we're exceptional? I mean, we're the only humans that we know. <laughs> well, of. I think we are. <laughs> I think it's an acceptable exceptionalism because no other species that we're aware of contemplates its own mortality in the same way and can make these plans. That's got to count for something. I think it's time to score this film, Paul. How would you score the acting in Greenland? I use the word perfunctory too often. <laughs> it's it's become quite perfunctory for you to use that word. It has, and it is perfunctory this time. Uh, I'm going to say six. Uh, I mean, I'll go a bit better. Seven. I liked his wife. thought she was relatively good. I don't think they explored any avenue apart from action movie acting. Yeah. So how about the special effects? I think this is maybe the strong point. I thought the air, the airplane crash, all that was, whilst not dramatic, was effects convincing. And the other big effect effects was the uh, the storming, the storming of the airport. Storming of the Bastille Airport by by the uh, by the ravenous crowd of Trump supporters, the explosions that resulted. I thought that was convincingly done. And then there was that third point between those two worlds, but I can't remember what it was. There was the the, the fall of the meteorites on the traffic on the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hiding under the bridge, not to escape rain, as we've all done. Those kind of motorway bridges, but. <laughs> Is that your go-to place for rain, is it? If you live in a typhoon area, yeah. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Head for the kind of like... The overpass. The overpasses. There's another moment. And I thought all three of them were... Those three big moments were relatively convincing uh, and quite well done. What let them down was not the special effects. It was the fact that the action was really hackneyed. So the SFX themselves, I'm going to give an eight. Don't know what you feel about. Yeah, I agree. I'll give in an eight. But let's talk about the science then. Well, you've changed my mind. It seems that the science was all one, well-researched, too. Relatively well-portrayed. Splitting of the comet is accurate. Multiple impact events, accurate. The speed, they mentioned that the speed of comets is greater than asteroids. Again, accurate. The fact that it would only be a Richter 9 or less earthquake, because presumably the impact was not as large as the... uh, the Chicks Club. Yeah. One of the two extinction events. Yeah. So, yeah. So, for all that, it seems that pretty much it's all accurate, apart from the passing of the comet, like, overhead. Like, oh, there it goes. Take a photo kind of thing. Well, they've got that a couple of other things wrong as well. Unconvincing. But they got insulin and diabetes wrong all the time. Oh. I mean, there was, it made no sense why they chucked him off or why he survived in the bunker. Yeah. And... There was a whole, whole bunch of stuff about giving giving him sweets and stuff and his insulin. I think was all wrong. I, I, I purely it was there sympathy fuel. Yes, exactly. The protagonist rage, wasn't it? Like you know, I'm going to avenge this this slightly unfair thing that's happened to my son, kind of thing. You know, 
The other thing that they got wrong is the big one at the end they said was hitting Western Europe fine. Yeah. They showed images from all around the wasted globe at the end. One of them was of Paris and you saw the Eiffel Tower and an iconic sort of shot was sort of all melted and bent over, which was cute. Yeah. But when they show a shot of the Earth, actually, Western Europe was completely cratered. It was a huge, like, you know, it was all <laughs> sea where Paris would have been. So Paris couldn't have existed. Well, okay. So some gooey continuity here. Yeah, I'll give it a seven for the science. Uh-huh. The other thing is, I, I do have a problem with the whole of Florida essentially disappearing or being raised <laughs> and there being no I change in the weather. I have any problem with that. I think that's fine. Well, no. Florida man can go, as far as we're concerned. What is it about Florida, you know, Trump and Florida man? It's like, everybody's like, a, literally like an alligator down there. It's like, you know, some human alligator genetic experiment has occurred. <laughs> Change the nature of people. But I, I seriously thought there would have been, there was no indication that there was any change in weather patterns as a result of that already pretty gigantic impact upon the earth, you know. I'm going to have to go 8.5. How do you feel? I said to him. There was a bit, I think, where they said the sky was on fire, where there was a old red blob in the sky. So, you know, we've done science. We've done... It's, this, is, this is a science fiction or science faction movie or something, isn't it? It's not really a horror. So we don't do no. Fear Factor. Or do we do Fear Factor? I'm a bit no, we've confused. got the plot line to consider. Okay, plot then. Well, the weakest part. I Very thought weak. Relative. Hackneyed. Yeah. There were no surprises. The twists weren't twists at all, but rather the most predictable thing that could happen. Please come to our bunker to survive. Oh, you can't get there. We can't take you with your son. Find your way there. Get on a plane. Oh, you're here. Well done. It'd be better if they'd... If it, when he'd arrived at Greenland, they went, yeah, sorry, you can't you can't stay, and they shut the door on them. <laughs> <laughs> and they got eaten by polar bears, yeah. <laughs> Which happened when they got off the train. What was that train that circles the Earth? Oh, you mean uh, Snowpiercer. <sighs> Snowpiercer, yeah. Presumably they, they get off the train and they do get eaten by polar bears. But yeah, also the fact like, hey, you know, we're nice Amish or ma- um, Masonic or, or we are nice Mormon people. Get in our car. Nothing could really go wrong at all. All of it was really hackneyed and there were very, very few surprises that weren't entirely predictable cinematic surprises. So I'm going to go with three on this. I'm sorry. Ooh, very harsh. But fair, I think. I mean, I'll give it a four. I'll be slightly more generous. Okay. Yeah, it was weak. It was weak. And it didn't really excite, did it? But that is not to say it's not worth watching. I think it is. The final score for me was 6.5. Yeah, I wasn't disappointed that I saw it. I quite liked it. And I quite like, as you say, it felt a bit like an old-fashioned disaster movie. And I was keen to see them, to see what they would do with a worldwide destruction situation. Very difficult, actually, to portray it. And I don't think they pulled it off, but it was nice no. to see what they did. Uh, relatively accurate, too, in terms of its yeah. portrayal. This is so. a question, remember, of if, not... Uh, no, of when, not if. You know, this is going to happen. Well, and also made for platforms, so relatively low budget. So yeah. I think you have to take that into account. So I'll give it a seven. Whoa. Wow. Mr. Jarrett. There we go, then. Paul, do you have any ideas for a film for next week? Do. Oh, right. Except I, I can't pronounce it. Oh. Well, do you want to spell it phonetically? I've written it down. It's like Dabaduk, Dabadike? The Babadook. Babadook, the Dabadook. Now, this comes from one of the movies that Jordan Peele told his actors to watch 
before filming last week. That's right. Us. Yes. And yeah, I'm all on board with that. So let's watch the Babadook for next Babadook. week. Babadook. Okay. And who's do we do we know anything more about it? No, I guess we'll find out next week. Yeah. It's Australian, Paul. So. Oh wow. Yeah, and I think mostly done by a female kind of a female director. And most of the cast seem to be female. Again, vibes of uh, Benny Loves Killing in that respect. But we'll have a look. Join us next week. We're going to watch Babadook. And uh, hope to see you then, everybody. Until then, goodbye from me. And it's bye from him. And me, too. Thank you.